Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, um, we're so honored and blessed to bless you guys with Right Now Media. Um, I want to encourage you to go um, after service to go see Sean and at the Welcome Center. They're going to give you some how you could connect up and uh, get on, whether it's your phone app or computer or whatever it is. has thousands and thousands of Bible studies, um, materials on things you can study, read, hear. They even have kids things for kids, c- cartoons, you know, things on parenting, finance, covers a variety of things. We just wanted to make sure that you guys are continually growing in the Lord. And so we wanted to give you that for free as a gift from New Vision to all that. It's open to the whole body. Um, it's even open up to your friends if you want to give them to them. It's, it's, we just want to bless you guys uh, this Christmas with that and uh, so you can continue to grow. Hey, next week, we're not meeting here for, in a sense, for service. We're here to serve, not to be served next week. And so this is the Hope Toy Drive. I know Sean and the team have been really hard, get working hard to, to get it off the ground, get it going. And if you haven't signed up and you haven't said, ah, you know, I don't know about my day. I don't know. I got plans. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because of the Bible. You know, it's better to blessed. It's better to serve. It's better to give than receive it. And there's a blessing in your service. There's there's something in there. So if you haven't planned next Sunday, we, you know, there's a lot. I know many of you are jumping on board on, in different places. So I want to encourage you to, if you haven't signed up to serve, to, to come and get signed up and, and get involved for next uh, next Sunday morning as we're going to be blessing many, many that will be coming to the church. You're going to see it. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time for us. Hey, guys, we're going into the Christmas season. It's the Advent season uh, this morning, and so we're all getting ready for Christmas. So we're, we're starting our Christmas series called Scent, and that's the title of my message this morning called Scent. I'm sure many of you, just like me, right, have gone out already and maybe got your tree already. Maybe you've decorated your tree already. Um, for us and my family, my wife went out, and we bought our first fake tree. And normally we do it as a family, but my kids are all gone. They're all, I'm an empty nester, right? And so we told them, hey, we went, I got a tree already, and it's a fake tree. And they're like, what? <laughs> my son writes me a text and says, we're going to be cursed for seven years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and, I, and I say, you know what? Though it's a fake tree, the season isn't a fake thing. Right? It's not a fake thing. And we're in the Christmas season this this morning. And, and what I love about the Christmas season is like we get to, uh, Julie and I get to bless our kids. Not just bless our kids. Uh, when we go shopping, we, we go shopping with the intent to say, what gift best fits our kids' personality and style? What is it they need? And we buy that accordingly to what they're needing and, and, and that we can really bless them with, right? When we talk about the gift giving, we have a God that knew our needs. We had a God that knew our personality. We had a God that knew who we are. And so the greatest gift that he could give us was his own son, right? That was the perfect gift for us. And this gift was never meant to be placed under a tree, but to be on a tree, okay? And so because of that this morning, this gift is eternal. And what this season, this Advent season, really is about his presence. And that's what we want to look at this morning. I, I heard it said this, and you may have heard it, it says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. 
If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been a pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. He sent that us for us this morning. And so here we're celebrating the Advent season. The word Advent means, to, means the word sent or to arrival or in the Latin means coming. So my Christmas message title this morning is called Sense. Our sermon series is called Sense. And, and so we're going to look at that in the next couple of weeks. And specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at the gospel of John, looking at the words of the apostle John, as we look at what it means for Jesus' coming or Jesus to be sent. And I want you to say in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different passages that we can get the, the author's view of what it meant for Jesus to be sent. We're going to look at verses that might look a, a little bit different. Not your traditional Christmas stories that we normally hear, hear out of Matthew and Luke. But my, my goal for this series is not to take a traditional passage, but other passages to help us see the Christmas story from a different lens with the hope that it draws you closer to Christ this Christmas season. So open your Bible to the Gospel of John. If you're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first chapter, we're going to be looking at verse 14. And it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to look at one verse there's a lot packed into that one verse right there. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for all your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, Father, we thank you. You came in the flesh and you came for a purpose. And so I pray this morning as we just study this one little verse, but it's a, it has a lot in it, Lord, but we're going to study it this morning and look at it. And Father, we pray that it would sink into our hearts the blessings of why you came and why you were sent. And so, Father, I thank you for this morning. I, I thank you for the work that you're doing this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 The first thing, we're looking at three things this morning about this verse. Number one, he sent his son to dwell with us. He sent his son to dwell with us. We see that at the very beginning of 114, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Among us. Hey, guys, I want to let you know that this summer, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical, okay? So I'm going to be, it's a, sabbatical is a rest, but I'm not really going to rest. <laughs> what I'm doing is that my wife and I are getting away. We're going to go to Europe for a couple of weeks. And one of the, that's been one of my dreams, that we're going to be going to Greece. Lord willing, COVID's not in effect. And we're going to go study the footprints of Paul. We're going to be looking at the journey of Paul. We're going to be going to Thessalonica and Ephesus and Philippi. We're going to go to the island of Patmos where John got the book of Revelation. We're going to be studying the life of Paul and, and going into places that Paul traveled. Right? And the thing about it, it's one thing to, I can, I've, I've been in the Lord a long time. It's one thing to read about it in the scriptures. Right? It's another thing to look at pictures about those places. But when you get to see it in real time, that's difference. We're going to see these places in real time. When, when we look at God the Father sending his son to dwell, what it is, Jesus, God the Father sent Jesus to be with us in real time. 
right? To be with the people in real time. And, and so he's, he's sending this. This is the reason he says, I want Jesus to be with the people by creation, to be with them in, in real time. And so he sent his son to be with us, with us. Does that sound familiar? It's called Emmanuel, God with us. He is the with us God. That's, you know, he's not Manuel. That's not his name. He's Emmanuel. It's a character, <laughs> okay? Because people say, is his name Manuel? No, it's Emmanuel. It's been God with us, okay? I know, I know we think sometimes Jesus is Jesus, so we get it mixed up sometimes, okay? But, but this morning, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, big W. The word became flesh. It's the Greek word where we get the word logos in the language of the Greek language, right? It's actually referencing all the way back to John chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John 1, 1 through 3. He's referencing back that passage. He, John the Apostle, is referencing also Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God. That's where the Bible starts in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, the word God in the Hebrew, there's Elohim. It's a plural noun, meaning it's not just a God, but it's, it's a trinity. The, the, the whole God is the whole Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see that because you always go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it says we created man in our image to be like us, right? So there's a plural in there that we see God at the very beginning because he says, let us make man in our image. He, Jesus, was God. He, Jesus, was the word. And in John later, we read that he says, Jesus said, I and my father are one. Speaking to Philip, one of the Disciples, he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And Paul would later write, after he had his encounter with Jesus in real time, would say this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word became flesh, right? What did he do? He took on all humanity. He took on human nature. He took on skin and, and muscles and skin and color. He was a Jewish man. God is revealing himself through his son, through, through Jesus, and he became the God-man, the man who would be God into the flesh, flesh like us. He was a human, <laughs> right? Philippians 2, verse 7, 8 says this, but, but, may, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man. We know that he was born of a, a virgin, but had a not natural childbirth, right? Mary still had to go through the pain of childbirth. Moms, you know what that pain is? She still had to experience that. He lived in Nazareth during his childhood, a poor neighborhood with a bad reputation because anything good come out of Nazareth. So Jesus walked the block too, right? Right? Jesus knew the neighborhood. I was with Sean. We were doing some stuff yesterday, visiting some things we had to do together. And we are like, oh, I got to get this park. And I took him through this back way to get there. Right? And he said, you just got to know the neighborhood. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus knew the neighborhood. Okay. 
he grew up in that neighborhood. But he says that he grew up a strong young man. He grew from a baby to adulthood. There was a learning process to, to Jesus. He had to read and he had to learn to write and he had to learn the Torah by the time he was 12, the, the five books of the Old Testament. He became just like us. He went to school to later school the scribes and Pharisees. Because we know that he had to grow in wisdom and knowledge and stature and find favor with God and all men. He even threw down with the religious leaders when he was 12 years old in, in the synagogue. He was slinging the scripture. They're like, man, this is crazy. Who, isn't, this, isn't this kid from Nazareth? Isn't this kid the son of Mary and the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son? Like, where's, man, this guy's, this kid's 12 years old. He's brilliant. But we also know that he wept. He marveled. He felt anxiety and he suffered. He had the whole humanity. Everything that you and I feel, he felt. In fact, Hebrews 4 5 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Everything that you've gone through, every struggle, every temptation, he has felt it. He has been through it. Whatever dark place you think you've gone, God's been there. He knows your feelings. He knows your thoughts. He knows your emotions. He knows your ups. He knows your downs. And Jesus had his ups and downs, just like you. Right? The birds have nests. Foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What does it tell you? He had some down times, too. He was homeless. Right? But yet, doesn't he care for the lilies, the fields, and birds of the air? How much more will he care for you? So we, we see this human side, right? Some just saw him as a, a regular man and referenced him as the son of Mary and the son of Joseph, the carpenter, right? Referencing Joseph, his stepfather. So even Jesus grew up in a blended family. Think about that for a minute. Joseph was a stepfather, right? He had half-brothers and sisters. Why? Because Jesus is connecting with all of who we are as he talks about family. He knows what it means to be a stepson and to have a stepfather, he knows what it means to grow up in a home that didn't really believe who he was. In fact, he would come home and then sometimes he said, I couldn't even do works there in my own home because they didn't even believe who I was. Can you imagine growing up in a home, in Jesus' home, and Mary saying to the other brothers, he says, why can't you just be like Jesus? First John 4, 2 says this, but this you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come to flesh is of God. We make that confession. When we follow Jesus, we're saying he's God, right? And he came to dwell with us, to dwell with us. The Greek word for dwell is where we get the word tabernacle. He came to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us in, in tents. This is referencing to the Old Testament. When, when God took the people out of Egypt and they were wandering and they were in the wilderness... He told them to build this tabernacle or this tent. It was like a, like a mobile home. <laughs> it's like a mobile home. And, they, and, and God's presence would be in this home, and they would build it, and, they, and they, he would tabernacle. In fact, if you read the book of Numbers, it says that they would, he would build this tabernacle. They'd, like, was made of, it was, wasn't very good looking, actually. It was, it was the house of God before there was the temple. And he would sit it right here in the middle of the camp and all the tribes by their tribes would line up on the north, the south, the east, west of it. And, and, and the tabernacle would be in the middle. 
if you see that picture in the book of Numbers, it actually looks like a cross. And, and in that, you see that he tabernacled because Jesus' presence was the center of his people to dwell among us, it says there. And so we see he tabernacled among the people because his presence was the focal point. But why? He's, here's another, the reason he sent us, he sent his son is because he loves us. He sent his son because he loves us, right? What's the famous John, John passage we know, John 3.16, right? That's the famous, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes it should not perish but have eternal life. God, because he loved, he loved the world. No matter where you are, whether you're online here or in this sanctuary or whatever, no matter where you are in your faith walk, whether you're a follower or not a follower, maybe you're curious about the Jesus, maybe you're even convinced, yeah, I believe him, but I don't know if I believe him. Maybe you're just trying to get committed. Wherever you are, understand this. God's love is unconditional. I don't care what you do, he still loves you. He still loves you. You could be mad at him, he still loves you. You could worship him, he still loves you right? He still loves you. That's a fact because he says that for God so loved the world. He didn't say for God so loved the world plus. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I love you if you do this. He just loves you regardless of what you do. That's, a, that's, a, that's just a general statement that he makes here because the Christmas story is a love story. It's a, it's a love story. Why? Because in any love story, any relationship, there's promises and God keeps his promises. Love keeps promises. And Jesus being sent in the flesh, being born of a virgin, our first Christmas, was because of a promise. And what was that promise? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. After man fell, he said this, we read, and I'll put enmity between you and a woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall be bruised your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I'm going to send a, a one through the seed of David, through the line of David. It's going to be a royal king. He's going to come and be born. Jesus came to be born for a purpose, right? Isaiah said, for, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But you have to understand, not only that he love us, love rescues us. Love rescues. I don't know if you ever, I, I love listening to you too. There's a song called Love Rescues. And they sing about the love of God. He sent his son to, son to save us. And why? Because this act of, of Jesus coming as a child was the beginning to build bridges. God was a bridge builder. A bridge builder. I read earlier that he was our high priest who sympathizes with us. Actually, the word priest means bridge builder in the Latin. Jesus is our bridge builder. He's our mediator. He's, a, he's the one that came to rescue us, right? That's why we read in the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. He says, and you shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. God has been bridging of making a bridge that we can be in right relationship with the Father because he's the mediator. John 3.17, we know 3.16, but go to John 3.17 because we know 3.16, I just read it, but 3.17 says, well, for God did not send his son into the world to contemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Maybe you grew up in a home that 
your father was one that just beat. And you have a hard understanding God's love because you can't see God's love through the experience of a, a father that didn't love you. But, but here, God's not coming to throw you in jail and throw away the key. That's, that's not his intention. That was never his intention. That, that's not what his heart was. He came to save us and to rescue us and everything he needed. And so God the Father said, in order to bring this precious gift, I'm, I'm sending him as a little one to be born in a, in a cave, in a, in a manger. This king from a royalty, from this royal land, a line. What? He didn't come with all pomp and circumstances. He, he came through humility. He came through lowliness, through a lowly family. God birthed him into this world among cows and animals and the humility of our God that we worship. He entered in through that way. He became flesh to dwell among us. For what? To behold his glory. Right? That's the second thing. He sent his son to see his glory. He sent his son to see his glory. And we beheld his glory, it says. The glory is only begotten of the Father. Right? The glory. We get to see the brightness of the Father through his son. I don't know if you, this last week you get to see the moon this night. But the moon is only the light of the moon is the reflection of the sun. The sun reflects the light of the moon. We're seeing the brightness of who God is through the sun. We see the glory of that, right? I know many, I know we just had Black Friday and some of you probably already hit the, hit the stores already and those big TVs now are up sale for cheats. And we know them as what? They have H, we have HD television, right? HD is the initials for high Definition HD TV displays images that are sharper and more detailed than the normal TV. Remember the old day we said picture tubes for us are older tube TVs, and that was the HD. That was broken D. I don't know what it was. They, yeah, they think you're like you know what I mean. I mean we had dial-up internet back in the day, right? Like you had a hamster that was trying to turn it. You're right. It's not like we have today, young people. You don't even know what we, we suffered for your sake. Okay. But you have HD TV, the pitch is cleaner and clearer, so you can see the details better. That's what God's glory does for Jesus. We can see Jesus in greater detail because Jesus came in the flesh and lived his life in HD for all of us. And we get to watch his glory like people watch a show in a theater or fans watch football game. They have a love for it. We respect his watching, and we're going to see that, right? We, we see his glory in the Old Testament. We see it. Right? Again, we talked about the tabernacle. I told you the tabernacle was actually just made of animal skin and, and different things. It looked, it looked really ugly, really, on the outside. It wasn't really pretty at all, this tabernacle. In fact, though it was ugly on the outside, it was beautiful on the inside. In fact, it filled with gold and silver. And this here was God's presence. We call it the Shekinah glory dwelt between the cherubims. You guys are familiar with Raiders of the Lost Ark if you watch the movies and they want to find the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holies of Holies. And on top of it was the mercy seat with the cherubims on top. And God's presence, the Shekinah glory, would dwell there. Inside, inside, that, inside that ugly looking tabernacle was beauty. The Bible says that Jesus was unbecoming. He, he was unbecoming. He wasn't very good looking, but everything inside was glorious. It was beautiful. 
the glory of the Father dwelt in him. And we see that the Shekinah glory was there. But we also see God's glory and Jesus' glory in the, in the New Testament. We see it in the New Testament. His glory is his deity, that he's God. That he's God. That Jesus is God. His glory is manifested in his personhood and his works and his words. 1 Timothy 1.17 says this, Now the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That was a prayer that Paul wrote to young Timothy. We know that the disciples saw his glory, right? His incarnation. That's when he became flesh. They saw him. They walked with him. Okay? They saw him in the flesh. They saw his glory at the first miracle at a wedding in Cana. When they went to the wedding and they ran out of wine. And Mary requests of her son, man, can you go take care? Go talk to the guys in the back. Can we get the good stuff? And, 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 and Jesus, man, mom, it's not even my time. But you can't say no to mom. Come on now, even, even the Son of God cannot say no to mom. And he turned the water into wine. And it says the beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee that, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. That he manifested his glory in the miracle of turning that water to wine, and it grew the disciples' faith, that glory. They, they saw his glory when Jesus walked on water. And he calmed the storm with his words. They saw his glory. They saw his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 when Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, are up on a mountain and boom, Jesus starts to glow. Woo! Right? Moses, Elijah up here. They're like, whoa, this is Twilight Zone. And they saw Jesus in his glorified state, meaning his heavenly body, before he even rose again. He was glorified. The disciples, you know, Peter didn't even know what to do. I mean, we, 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 he's running around. Should we build little huts for these guys? You know, that's, they were kind of freaked out by it. They saw his, his glory. But ultimately, they saw his glory at his resurrection. Appearing before Mary Magdalene and then the, the 12. They saw his glory. But not only did the disciples see his glory, the multitude saw his glory. The multitude saw his glory. When he fed the 5,000 in, in John chapter 6, right? A little boy giving his lunch to Jesus. Prays over it. Right? Better than food trucks. Okay? Right? He's, he's dishing out the fish tacos on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. And they're eating, man, and they're throwing it down. I'm sure the little boy went back to his lunch bag and said, man, where'd that come from? Because <laughs> it said, when they were all done, what? They were all satisfied, it said. Then he says, what? I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. The angels shared in his glory at the birth of Jesus. As suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among the, them, them being the shepherds, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, the radiance of the Lord's glory. They, they saw his glory in John chapter 11 when, what? He raised Lazarus from the dead. But not only Lazarus, there were many people he raised from the dead. Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow of Nain. Can you imagine going down a funeral 
And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up at the funeral and the, and, and the widow of Nain and he healed and he raises up. And you're the mom going, what? You know what I mean? He just stopped the whole posse of moving toward the cemetery. Instead of going to the grave, they went home and had a party. You know what I mean? They saw his glory through the power over death. They, they saw his glory, the multitudes, after he resurrected, because there's over 500 people saw him at his resurrection in his glorified body. But let me tell you this. We see his glory today. We see his glory today because his glory is declared in creation. His glory is declared in creation. Look at this. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seeing his glory, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so are they without excuse. When you walk out these doors and you've seen the sunrise this morning, you're going to be without excuse when you stand before God. Because you've seen his glory, you've seen his, you've seen his creation, right? But I want you to understand something. His glory changes us. His glory changes us, right? Remember when God was leading the people out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they went to Mount Sinai, a mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments. But it, it, was, it was a holy moment because they get to this mountain and there's thundering and lightning, Right? And he gives commands to the people to follow what it means to worship. Can we read Exodus 20 to the end of the book about their encounter with God? But first of all, you go to the mountain, you don't drive, you don't go toward lightning and thunder. But God was taking them to the presence of God, the glory of God. And in fact, it shook them up so much, they said, Moses, you need to go on our behalf because there's no way we're going to be in front of this holy God. Because of the lightning, of the presence of his glory. In Exodus 34, remember Moses goes up to a mountain for 40 days to retrieve new tablets because he broke the old tablets. You remember when he threw the tablets down the first time? And he's up there and he has this encounter with God. But when he descends from that mountain, his countenance has changed. His skin has changed. There's glory on him. He had to veil himself. And they're like, man, you thought Jonah looked back at a vomit of a whale? He had a change of his countenance when he had an encounter of the presence of God. In fact, HD, amen. <laughs> Hebrews 3.18 says this about the power of his glory. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding a mirror in the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just by the Spirit of the Lord. From glory to glory. I'm grateful you're here because God's doing a work in you from glory to glory. He's changing you from glory to glory, right? The body is God's temple. It's the body is where God dwells. Christ in us, the hope of glory, it says. That's where the power comes. That's where the transformation comes. That's where the change comes. That's the only God that lives in us. No other God has claimed that. But the God we worship, the God we serve, the God we love lives in me and lives in you. That is the power. That's the glory. Buddha don't live in me. Confucius don't live in me. Muhammad don't live in me. But Jesus lives in me. And Jesus lives in you. 
There's your power. There's your change. But not only does it change us, we're called to proclaim his glory. We're called to proclaim his glory. It says in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning. And now he's going back to the beginning, right? John 1, 1, Genesis 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The disciples are talking about, man, we had this HD encounter with Jesus. The life was manifested that we have seen and bear witness, bear witness to declare to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. I mean, he came in the flesh that which we have seen and heard. We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We are called to proclaim his glory. We do it every day. We're going to do it at the Hope Toy Drive. We're going to do it when we go out these doors, right? Because his glory gives us a blessed hope. Gives us a blessed hope. Our salvation ends with our glorification. Our salvation ends with our glorification. That happens at graduation day. When we pass on and we go into the presence of the Lord, we become glorified. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. We are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when we know him, he is revealed. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Glorified body, right? First Peter 1 Peter 1.21, though Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. We have a blessed hope. But the third thing this morning of why he was sent, he sent his son to experience, so we can experience his grace and truth. He sent his son so we can experience his grace and truth, right? Listen, when you're going out to look for a job, and you put a, put you submit your resume in, and, and on your resume, you, you give your history, right? Your educational history, your, your work history. It gives a little background about you are. But the employer also wants references, right? Not only do you submit your resume, they're going to want references. They want to talk to other people about and who can vouch for who you are, your character. They want to they, they see if you're legit and for real by what other people say. And then comes an interview, a, a, a face-to-face with, with the employee and the employer encounter. We know that Jesus had the perfect resume, right? Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He had, he had a Testament. He has his references of those who testified about who he was. But when they had an encounter with the real Jesus, the interview with the real Jesus, a face-to-face with the real Jesus, they experienced his grace and truth. We can come to realize he is the real deal when we read about what he is. But when we experience it, when we experience his presence, when we experience his power, we know he's the real deal. We know he's the real deal. The Bible says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. It says is the last part of John 1, 14. Right? He became in the flesh. He dwelt among us, full of glory and truth, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word full means complete, perfect. Jesus lacked nothing to do the work for us. He lacked nothing. And he used the word grace and truth. There's a tension between grace and truth. Grace is that word we often hear about, right? It means unmerited 
favor. Right? He was gracious with us with his words. We, we have common grace where everybody here is experiencing common grace. We breathe because God's gracious. We woke up this morning because God was gracious and he put lungs, air in our lungs. He's, he's gracious. Whether you're saved or unsaved, he's, as common grace, he's gracious. But he also spoke with grace to the publicans and sinners. In fact, if you really study the scriptures, never did he, never was he angry with sinners. Never did he just come after verbally abusing, but he did come after the religious leaders very angrily. Very interesting understanding. He spoke with words of grace. His words were seasoned with grace. When Jesus taught in the synagogues, they marveled at his gracious words, it says. When he sat in the church and he spoke, they were like, man, these words are, let's, let's just Twitter that one. Let's put that on Instagram. They were quoting him, man, when he was throwing down Isaiah 61. Like, let's post that. Boom. I'm sure that's what they, well, you know, maybe they didn't have it back then, but that's, that's what happens in my mind when I think about these things. When, when he engaged Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to him at night because he was afraid to be seen by other religious leaders, and God graciously engaged him to talk about what it means to be born again or, or born of the spirits. And he gave him time. He was gracious. He was gracious with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 who nobody wanted to be with at a well. Right? She was like, what does a Samaritan woman have to do with a Jew? She was even taken back by it. She says, I just want to give you living water. The water that you'll never thirst again. He was being gracious with this woman. But why? Because we're all saved by grace. Not of our works that we should boast. We're saved by grace. Is a gift of God is unearned. And by his grace, we've been adopted into a beautiful family. Grace. But he also speaks truth. He speaks truth. His word is truth. We abide in his truth. When we abide in truth, we'll bear much fruit, Scripture says in John 15. But the reality is God's word is truth. We know that when we abide in truth, this truth will set us free. See, we have to read God's word and abide in his truth because we're getting lies out here. And so what's happening is some of us believe more the lies of the world than the truth of God's word. Because the lie would be maybe the sin that we do is believing the lie that God cannot be the fulfillment for me, these other things have to fulfill me. But we read the word, we can see that God can fulfill us. But unless we read it and understand it and put it in our hearts and minds and be renewed by it, we'll never believe that, we'll never know that. And that's where the deliverance comes, by the renewing of the mind and the renewing of the heart. Truth is part of the armor. It talks about the bounce of truth, right? That, that, that's the armor. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to wear that. We have to own that because the truth is what holds everything together. For some of us, it keeps us together. I wear loose church shirts because I used to have a six-pack, but now I have a one-pack. You know, the belt holds it all together. The, the truth holds our life together. The truth is what keeps everything together. And Jesus is the truth. But we have to speak the truth in love. We have to tell people the truth. 
Some people don't like the truth. Some people can't handle the truth. Some people get mad when they hear the truth. But we still got to speak the truth. In fact, 1 John 5, 20 says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his son, Jesus Christ, that it, that is the true God and eternal life. Right? John, the apostle, is writing this in 1 John. And he's confessing that I believe that Jesus is the true God. And he is eternal. That he is the truth. But I want you to understand how Jesus applied this grace in truth. Right? When, when, you, when, you meet, when he meets the man at the pool of Bethesda, been sick for 38 years. He's laying on a pallet. The lie was, if the water stirred, the first one in the pool would be healed for 38 years. Can you imagine coming to this pool, hoping that one day you can flop into the water and be made well? Then Jesus comes to him and says, what? Do you want to be made well? What a crazy question, the man who's paralytic for 38 years. That's a dumb question. But how did the man on the pallet respond? Well, there's nobody to put me into the water. He began to excuse, excuse. He didn't even answer the question. He just gave excuses. That was not the question that Jesus had asked him. He just asked him if you want to be made well. God's being gracious. He's being gracious. He says, arise, take up your pallet, and come follow me. Now, I can imagine Jesus extending his hand. Arise, take up your pallet and come follow me. Some of us are in that state right now. We're, we're looking for healing in our life. We're looking for things in our life. We're looking for hope in our life. We're looking for that. And you feel you're immobilized. Nothing's worked for you. But Jesus says, arise, take up your pallet, and walk. What that means is I believe that man had to, by faith in his heart, before he even moved, had to trust God. And he reached out, and Jesus picked him up. And he lifted him up and healed him. But he said, take your pallet. It means I, don't have, I have no intentions for you ever to come back here. I have no intention for you ever to live in this pallet, to live beat down, un, un, not victorious. You take your pallet because I don't, this is, you've been comfortable in this pallet for 38 years. So I've been comfortable in these things for a long time. God says, I got to remove the pallet and come follow me. And so then what happens, he gets healed and the religious leaders see him. They're like, they're questioning about, weren't you the man at the pool? And he goes, yeah, well, who does it? I don't know. But then Jesus sees him the next day. And he says, See, you have been made well, he says. But now here it is. Grace has been extended, but here's the truth. So sin no more, lest worse things come upon you. See, see, he's saying, I bless you. I've been gracious to you. But let me tell you the truth about something. I, I've touched you and you're coming, but now we don't slide back into your mess because it's only going to get worse. Sometimes we haven't learned our lessons as people. Grace and mercy, right? We know it in the same story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, right? The scribes and the Pharisees that come and they caught her in the very act of adultery. I notice how they bring the woman, but don't bring the man. He goes, it takes two to tangle. And Jesus is there and they bring him to him and, and they're like, you know, they're, they're religious leaders. They, they know the law. They know the law of Moses. Hey, doesn't the law say if a woman's caught in adultery, she's supposed to be murdered or stoned to death? Isn't that the law of Moses? Jesus keeps his cool, right? He's chilling. I don't even think he even responds right away. They're waiting. And it, it talks about all these scribes and leaders that were there. And Jesus said, he was never sinned 
cast the first stone. And then it says he bent down on the ground and began to write in the dirt. We don't know what, what that was. We could only speculate. But it was something in the dirt that convicted the religious leaders because it says they begin to walk away from the oldest to the youngest walk away. I find that very interesting because it's always the youngest, sometimes more prouder from the older because they're like, oh, snap, we better get out of here. And what was he riding on the ground? I don't know. Maybe it's Rabbi so-and-so was with so-and-so last week. But he knows my name. He's like, he's spilling it all. I, I don't know, but it did something. Right? It stirred. They, all, they all begin to, to, to walk away. And then Jesus turns after they all left. Jesus turns and says, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, to, neither do I condemn you. Like he, remember, remember John 3, 17. I don't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Neither do I condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Guys, what he's saying is, don't go back into your mess and come follow me. And I'll keep you out of your mess. Because you couldn't keep yourself out of your mess. But I'm going to give the power for you to keep out of your mess. That, that's, that's what he's saying there. Because without him, if we abide without him, we can do nothing. We abide in him. We can do greater things. In fact, you look at the gospel, I think it's John 16, it says we can do greater things than he. Come on now. We can do greater things than he, the scripture says. Now, this morning, God extends his grace and truth to you. God has extended. There's now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's his grace. And that's his truth. Right? His grace is there as a, a safety net to, to, when we stumble, catches us. That's his grace. But his truth is what guides our steps. His truth is what keeps us from stumbling. His truth is what gives a path, right? His word is a light unto my path. It, it, that's, that's the fact of his truth. So we have to know his truth. Understanding we have grace to catch us, right? Now, grace isn't do whatever you want to do because I have grace, right? Come on now. That's not what grace is there. Do I keep on sitting that grace may abound? God forbid, no, Paul writes in Romans. Hey, I have life insurance. That's my grace. Or I have car insurance. That's my grace, right? But it doesn't give me a right to go play smash derby on the freeway, right? That's not what the insurance is for. It doesn't give me permission. But the bottom line is what the Apostle John is saying, the Apostle who loved God, the one who loved God, the beloved, is saying is, listen, God came in the flesh. He hung out with us. We saw his personhood. We saw his words. We saw his works. We saw all this thing manifested in grace and truth. That's the Christmas story started with him coming. He was sent the advent. He's arrived. He's come. He says, one, he sent his son to be with us. Celebrate the Christmas season, the fact that he sent his son to be with us. Number two, to see his glory. This glory of God. Number three, he sent his son to experience his grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings.
Lord, I thank you for this family. I thank you that they would experience this morning, this season, your grace, your truth, your glory. They would experience all that, Lord. That, Father, whatever they may be or whatever they may be doing, Lord, Lord, you would speak to their hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.